0: He is risen. You know that, right? He is. He is. Hey, I want to give another welcome to you. It is so great. This is Easter, right? This is Easter, and what an honor it is to worship with you. Thanks for making the choice to come and to be a part of this ceremony. We're going to give our very best, and hopefully you come away with an understanding that this is sincere and this is real, and we believe this with all our hearts. And that we do the best we can to honor God here as we gather on Easter Sunday. Well, we, we do have a bunch of visitors, so I just want to give you a quick up to speed, some stuff here. Uh, you may have noticed the um, signs, those road signs when you walked in. For the last six weeks, we have been digging into the book of Romans. And every one of those signs represents either a passage or a theme or something from the book of Romans that we have been digging into We talked a tiny bit about the Romans themselves in week one of the series, and this was an empire that was known for a lot of things, including their buildings. Some of the things that the Romans built are still in existence today. Here's an example of that. We have a picture of, this is called the Arch of Titus, and you can actually go and see this. Um, It's a real monument built in the first century, the time when the New Testament was being written. This was built and it was to commemorate one of their emperors, a guy named Titus. And it's interesting, if we can just leave this slide on the screen for just a second, do you see at the top of this arch, do you see that inscription up there? I find it interesting that that inscription on the top dedicates this monument to the divine Titus. It's interesting because this monument to the divine Titus was built around 80 AD, which is after Titus proved his mortality by dying. The divine Titus died before this monument was ever built. And here's something else that's interesting about this. I'm a guy that loves facts, and I love the fact that the Bible is more than history. There's poetry in there, and there's all kinds of things, but the Bible is grounded in history. It's grounded in in verifiable actual events. And so we've got something that's on this arch that actually is a crossover with Jesus. It testifies to Jesus. Let me show you. If you were to look on the south side of this arch, now we have a close-up here to take a look at. This is a close-up and then a close-up of the close-up. And what you're looking at here is something that verifies to a prophecy that Jesus made. Around the year 33 AD, Jesus is recorded as saying, the temple that you're looking at, guys, here in Jerusalem, it is going to be destroyed. And what you're looking at on the screen are Roman soldiers carrying away objects, from the temple in Jerusalem after they destroyed it about 40 years later after Jesus had said those words. So it's fun to see the historical crossover here in something that the Romans built. Now, I find that there's even a little bit more crossover that that was at least interesting to me. I was reading a little bit about Titus this week, and I found out that Titus dated someone from the Bible. I'm not making this up. You can Google it yourself. Titus, the Emperor Titus dated a woman named Bernice, who you can read about in the Bible, the book of Acts, chapter 25 and 26. They were, they were a thing. Here's a picture of the cute couple. Um, this is Titus. We don't have actual photographs, but we do have these marble statues. That's Titus. That's Bernice. And they were a thing. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work out for the two of them. They broke up. I know. Uh, it, it's a really sad um, thing. She was a lot older. He destroyed Jerusalem. It just, you know, didn't work out between the two of them. But they they were a thing at one time. Well, before Bernice ever got involved with Titus, she met another man. Now, there was never any chemistry between the two of them. In fact, this guy was a prisoner when they met, and his name was Paul. If you read Acts 25 and 26, that's an encounter that this person, this Bernice, who was the half-sister of a Jewish king, Paul is brought before her in this king, um, and he's a prisoner. And there was never again anything, I don't want to start a rumor between Bernice and, and Paul or anything like that, but, but um, she did get a chance to meet him and was very intrigued by this prisoner. And if only she would have pressed in. In fact, this um, king, this Jewish king said about Paul, you know, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul's like, yes, I am. It would have been interesting if she would have listened more to that. Because Paul went on to do something that Titus could never accomplish. Well, before this monument was ever made in Rome to Titus, a letter was being circulated in Rome that Paul had written. And that letter became arguably the most influential letter ever written in human history. And today it stands as a monument that testifies to the life and the importance of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. So there, it kind of all pulls together. It's, just, it's fun. I love, I love history um, when, when, you, when you take a look. Well, what I want to do today, this is Easter Sunday, right? And we've been spending six weeks in Romans. And so what I want to try as best I can to do today is to bring all of this together. And as I was praying, God, how do we do that? I felt led to the word, Therefore. The word therefore is a powerful, powerful word. Therefore is a declaration. Therefore signals that a definitive statement is coming. When you use the therefore word, what you're doing is you build a case usually. You try to put a whole lot of stuff together. You're you're trying to present something. Like why, if you're a teenager, you should get the keys this weekend, right? You make this great big case. Or if you're a 10-year-old girl, why you should get a hamster, for instance, right? You build this big case. I've been watching all the hamster videos. That wasn't in my notes, Andrew, sorry about that. But anyway, you know, so you make this big case and then you're like therefore. It's a big word. And Paul uses the English equivalent at least 20 times in his book of Romans. So what I want to do is I want to trace these as we try to bring together what we've been doing for the last six weeks on this Easter Sunday. Let's take a look at some of these therefores. We're not going to look at all 20, right, to which the people said amen. But let's look at some of the ones that tie in most to Easter. And we're going to start with a very solemn one, a very serious one. And here it is in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to it. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We always keep a stack. Whether it's this week or any week, you're always welcome to take one of our Bibles. They're there for you. They're on that table right there, that table right there. All right, here we go. Here's the first therefore that I came to. And again, we're looking at the English word therefore. It's a translation from Greek text. So your Bible may have translated because or since. But uh, my translation here said therefore. Here's the first one. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Now, if you're here for week two of this series, I I commented, this is one of the most tragic passages you're going to read in the scriptures. God gave them over. And it comes after Paul makes the case, and in the middle of a case that he continues to make, that God had created this amazing world that testifies to him this amazing world. Some of you, did you see the lightning storm on Wednesday? I, I'm a Shoreview guy. Our family lives right here in Shoreview. And there was a huge lightning storm. And I come out of my office that night, and I see this thing, and I just felt really small, right? Those kind of events, if you stand at the ocean, if you stand at the mountains, as you look out at the stars, they testify to who God is. And so God has given us this great world, and then he's given us the ability to choose. He, he put his image in us. The very image of God is in us. So God creates all of this. He does all this. And then what do we do? As humanity, we rebelled. We rebelled. As people who are created to care for his creation and bear his image, we rebelled. We don't render unto God what is God. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. Instead, we do the things that, not, uh, that ought not be done. Paul says. And that's why we use this sign we, of the signs that we were working through. We use this sign to represent the significance of sin in week two, this wrong way sign. And before you start thinking, maybe this is just too campy. No, no, just think about this. What you're doing when you're not walking in obedience with God, you are saying to the God of the lightning storm, you may say this is the right way, but I say it's not right for me. This is why Paul says, This is a big deal. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you over to that. You have that choice. You have that power. You have that freedom. You can say no to me. And God gave them over to their desires. And we read as we continue on, Romans 1.32, although humanity knows God's righteous decree that those who deserve things... Those who do such things deserve death. Humanity not only continued to do those very things, they also approved of those who practiced them. Okay, so all that to say, here's, here's the therefore. I'd encourage you to write this in your notes, on the yellow page of your notes. This is the first therefore. Therefore, God gave us over. He gave us over. He let us make that choice. You want to go the wrong way, you can, but there's consequences for that. In fact, I was, as I was working on this, I was thinking, you know, choice itself is a gift from God. Think about that. The very fact that he gave us choice is a gift, and we misuse that freedom. And so God gave us over. Humanity is experiencing the natural consequences. War is all that stuff. It's the natural consequence of God giving us over in our shared rebellion against him. Now, it's interesting. I talk about shared rebellion and humanity grouping us all together. You might be going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, okay. Maybe some people are rebelling against God, but I'm not really rebelling. I'm just doing some things maybe once in a while that aren't that great, right? I'm not as bad as them. You know, the thought occurred to me at the first service that, um, you know, we we talk so much about being the United States. They might as well just drop that these days, right? No one talks about United States anymore. We're individuals, right? Right? And so you you might be thinking, wait a minute, what are you talking about me shared humanity? What do you mean about me being grouped in with everybody who rebelled against God? You know, I'm not as bad as Bernice. She dated Titus. Come on, right? And I'm not as bad as Titus. He destroyed Jerusalem. Well, that brings us to our next therefore. The next therefore I want to encourage you to write down is this. We don't have an excuse. Where that comes from is the next therefore that we come to in scriptures. Romans 2, 1, and 8 says this. You have no excuse, those of you who do what? Judge others if we could put up the next slide there, those who judge others, you don't, you don't have an excuse because you may say, I'm not as bad as someone else. You don't understand. You want me to judge you as an individual? Okay, I will. I do. Sin is that bad. This thing that you think is just a little thing, this is not a little thing. It's that serious. I will judge you as an individual. And don't before you start pointing fingers at other, everyone else, what you've done is rebellion against the king of kings. There is no higher treason than that. It's a big deal. But here's the thing. Almost every time, and we saw this in Romans as we were reading through, almost every time that Paul talks about the significance of sin, about God's righteous wrath, right next to it, you almost always find something about his amazing grace. They're almost always really close together. And we reflect on one of these passages on Friday night. How many of you are here for our Friday night service? Wasn't it powerful? It was beautiful, you guys. I think it was one of the most beautiful services I've ever seen. It was a real simple service. We just kind of set things up and then gave people a chance to respond. And this area right up here, we had laid this cross down, and there were men and there were women, there were kids, there were teenagers bowing before God. And on black slips of paper, were writing out something that was helping them get right with God. It was powerful. And then they nailed those to the cross. And in the back of the room, people had the option, if they wanted to go back and have their feet washed, in commemoration of what happened in the upper room. And there were husbands washing their wife's feet. Families washing one another's feet. It was beautiful. We had a kid's station. I'm back there, and and we ask kids, draw a picture for Christ, for Jesus, and we have examples of those up here. It was a powerful night, and as I was coming in this morning, I was driving in, the thought occurred to me. Have any been watching the Final Four? Okay, a little bit, the games, right? It's a huge, huge tournament, basketball tournament, And and I was thinking about this. To not press in on Good Friday is like just tuning in to see who won the game if you come on Easter, without pressing in on Good Friday. It's kind of like that. Because the victory means so much more when you saw the intensity of the battle. And whether it's with us or somebody else, I want to encourage you on Good Friday or even by yourself, don't let an Easter go by where you don't take Good Friday to really press in and think about what God did because it's in light of that that all of a sudden, now this is why we celebrate today. Here's the verse that we pressed into at at Good Friday this year on the service. It was this one. And again, you see the, the tragedy of our sin, but you see God's amazing grace. It's both there. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. What does it say? Christ died for us. And what we didn't talk about on Friday, that I saved for today is this passage is surrounded by therefores. It's literally surrounded by therefores. There's a therefore that sets this whole section up, and then the very next verse, this ends with verse eight, verse nine picks up with a therefore. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life i'd encourage you to write this down i tried to summarize this and here's what i came up with therefore god made a way kids you've been doing such a good job of sitting still here's a chance just to shout out who made a way god oh come on you guys can give some more punch to that who made a way There you go. God made a way. While we were still sinners, God made a way. While we were in an absolutely hopeless place, we were in the crosshairs of the God who can make lightning. right? You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. We're in the crosshairs. And while we were unable to save ourselves, God made a way. That is so good news. Such good news. But therefore that God made a way. It is so well represented in these crosses. And if you were there last night, these crosses are even more powerful, or on Friday night. This cross here, the white one, this one was literally covered from top to bottom with those black sheets that were nailed. And now, I'd encourage you to take a look at it. When you come forward later, if you come forward later, take a look at it. There's all the nail holes, but all those black slips are gone. You know where they are? They literally burned those slips, and they're just ashes on the ground. How powerful is that God made a way and this cross take a look at this it's the most beautiful the one that the kids made that's the most beautiful cross I've ever seen did any of you guys have your pictures up there some of you guys it's just awesome you guys did a great job on that so powerful God made a way for sinful people to be forgiven and that brings us to a quote I put it at the top of your notes this is one of my all-time favorite quotes I didn't get it at first But Tim Keller is the first person that said it, that I heard it from. And I'm like, well, he knows what he's talking about on a lot of things. So I want to listen to this. Here it is. Listen to this. Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And it continues. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. It took me a while. Maybe you get it the first time. It took me a while. I reflected on this. I'm like, oh, I think what he's saying is you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. So if you're thinking right now, you don't know. What Bernice did, that's nothing. You should have seen the guys I've dated, right? Or what Titus did, that's nothing. You should have seen what I've done. You might be thinking, no, 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 you don't know. I've done really bad things. Guess what, you've done worse. No, 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 you don't get it. I've done really bad things, God says. They're worse than you think they are if you're looking from my perspective. And if it just ended there, that would really be bad news. But this other piece is true, too. You are more loved than you ever dared hope. As much as you can fathom what it took for Jesus to go to that cross, as much as you can can grasp how how strong that love must have been, it's deeper still. So cheer up, because you're a worse sinner than you ever thought, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. How powerful is that? Well, the good news keeps getting better if you follow the therefores. Here's the next one. And this one is sandwiched between two therefores. We have been united with him. Therefore, we have been united with him him because of his sacrifice and our response to it, we have been united with him. Someday I want to spend a week or a month on Romans 6. There's so much there. But sandwiched between two definitive therefore as we find this verse. If we've been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a what? A... Oh, let's put the next passage up there. That's why you're not saved. You don't have the Bible memorized? Sorry. Can we put up Romans... Uh, Six, five, there. Let's try this again. You're looking at me like. (laughs) Let me try this again. Get ready for the punchline. You know it's coming. If we've been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a what? That was much better. Just need the cue cards, right? Yes, a resurrection like his. Think about that for a second. The death like his was a profound death, and it took that profound death to deal with our sin. But if our sin is dealt with like that, then now we're united with Christ in his resurrection. The Bible talks about being like first fruits. What happened with Jesus is going to happen with us, those who are in Christ. Which brings us to this week's sign. Uh, Here's a sign that we're going to look at in a little bit here. Enter here. That's this week's sign. When we sincerely respond to God's invitation, we leave our old lives behind. We get to enter here. The old self is on the cross, it's nailed, it's done. And this new self begins, this new life begins. How do I know that? The scriptures testify, our next therefore. Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation. Any condemnation. Romans 8, oh, it's so loaded. Let me give you a couple excerpts from it. Romans 8, one through two says this. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now look what it says if we jump ahead to verse 31. Reflect on these words. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, and it's Christ who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? (laughs) See, I knew the kids were here, right? or famine, or danger, or sword. No, in all things, these things were what? What does it say? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rick. That is so true. On Palm Sunday, we walked through several scriptures that talked about how God is the God. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He's not just the God of a lightning storm. He's a God that can remove kings and set up kings. If that God is for you, who can can come between you and his salvation? And I thought about that question. I thought, all right, if God is for us, God us a question here through Paul. If God is for us, Who can come between us and God's salvation? And the only answer I could come to is you. That the only person that can come between you and God's salvation is you. That's why we have the sign, enter here. Because you don't have to come between you and God's salvation. You can yield your life to him and respond to his invitation and that's why Paul makes this plea in Romans 12.1. We only got a couple therefores left. And this is as big as one you're going to find. Romans 12.1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, I'm one who believes that this is the therefore that separates all that came before and all that came afterwards in Romans. This is a therefore that Paul uses to summarize everything he has just said in 11 chapters and everything that's to come between this and the end. It is a dividing point. At this point, this is where Paul says, he's already made the point, all of us have sinned. He's already made the point, the wages of sin is death. He's already made the point, hey, While you were still a sinner, God loved you so much that he died for you. Paul makes that case, and now he says, therefore, how can you not respond to him and offer him your entire life? That brings us to the therefore. I'd encourage you to write this in your notes. Therefore, we offer our lives in response. Numerous times along that Romans Road, um, I lost count on how many times, Paul pauses to basically say, hey, if you get this, if you really get this, you're going to respond. If you really get this, you're not going to keep going the wrong way. And you're not going to respond out of guilt or fear as much as if you really get this, you're going to respond out of, are you kidding me? you did this for me? If you love your grandma, you don't keep stealing from her purse, right? No. No. It's just that's how it works. If you really understand what God did for you, and as great as you are, grandmas, God bless grandmas, as great as you are, God's blessed us even more. How can you not say, in light of what God has done, Here's everything, living sacrifice. People ask why is Good Friday Good Friday? Because God is good. And his kindness was meant to lead us to repentance. Here's one of those examples of what I'm talking about, Romans 2, 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, willing repentance, willing repentance. This is why Paul can say in chapter 1, as he starts this whole big journey in Romans, he says, I am eager to preach this gospel. If those of you who have been reading it, rereading it, do you notice that? He's like, okay, my name is Paul. I know we haven't met yet. I want to see you someday. And then, boom, he jumps right in. He's like, I am eager to tell you about this gospel. I'm so eager. Why is he eager? He's eager because this is good news. And there's a kindness that God has that as we dwell on it, it's meant to lead us to repentance. We willingly surrender our lives. I was thinking about this. On a Good Friday, we were singing this song. And the lyrics were, you've won my heart. You've won my heart. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, these words are not, you've compelled my obedience. That's not what God did. You've won my heart. He's done everything he can to say, here, I'm willing to die for you. I've given you choice. I've given you freedom. And then it's up to us. The one thing he's not going to do is just give you whatever you think you want. That just spoils us. That doesn't help us, right? Right? We don't want most of the things that we think we want. But God is so good. He lays down his life, and his kindness leads us to repentance. That's why we're able to say with sincere and open hearts, we want to invite you to enter here with us. You don't have to be a part of this church to celebrate what we're about to celebrate, this communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist. We would welcome you. If you want to join us in this journey, we would welcome you. Trust us. We're as messed up as you are. But here's the thing that we've learned. We've learned that God's ways are good. And when we go astray, we've learned that he is good and we can turn to him and find forgiveness and we can find the right way, the way that really does lead to freedom and life and the things that we want most. And that brings us to our final therefore of the day. Therefore, Paul writes, welcome one another as what? Christ has welcomed you. So if you're regular it's time for you to raise your right hand and repeat after me. If you're regular, come on, this is our job. Hey, put it in the back of our... Keep your hands up here for a second. Um, I put it on the back. This is what it says on our vision statement. So we got to do this, okay? We got to do this. So repeat after me if you're a regular here. I will welcome others as Christ has welcomed me. All right. So there, if you're not a regular, you heard it. If you just raised your right hand, we're, we will welcome you to your messed up life to join our messed up lives, and we will do the best we can together to encourage one another, not condemn one another. We will do our best to support one another, not be judging one another. We'll do our best to cheer you on, and we'll need your cheers because we get weary, and we get tired, and we lose our way, but we're in this together. We've got this awesome God who didn't even spare his own son. And he invites us into this awesome family where we cheer one another on towards his good and perfect and pleasing will instead of just conforming to the world around us. Anyone else in? All right. Well, then, here's what we're going to do as we bring our Easter service to a close. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And I know you can respond in the quietness of your own heart, but there is something. Jesus did this himself often. He often would call people, follow me or leave what you have. He would would often call people to do a response, and that's really what communion is, isn't it? So we want to give you that opportunity. If you can sincerely come before Christ and say, God, I I I confess that I am a sinner. I realize that you did need to die on behalf of my sins. And if you can say, God, I offer you all of my mess, and I want to come forth from this place following you, if you can sincerely pray that prayer, you are invited to come and join us. Now, it does get a little bit messy because we don't do, at our church, we usually don't use ushers for this. And the reason we don't, it's not wrong to use ushers, but the reason we don't is because we want it to be a deliberate decision on your part. So there won't be somebody pointing to you and saying, okay, now you go. We're just going to invite you to come forward. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll have a little instrumental so that you can personalize it yourself. And then during or after the instrumental, the communion servers will get into place. And then at any time, we invite you to come forward. And we know it's messy, but it's a wonderful mess, isn't it? As we're all just kind of coming up and making our way up. It's kind of representative of life. I've said enough. Let's pray. God, thank you for Easter. Lord, I, I, I picture right now, I have a picture of a crucifix in my, in my mind, and what a powerful picture that is on Good Friday to press into that image of you sending your son and Jesus for you willingly laying down your life for us. God, that is a powerful image for Good Friday. But this is Easter. Easter. And we thank you for the powerful image of a cross that is empty and a tomb where the stone has been rolled away. We're so grateful for that image, that you have defeated death, you've defeated the grave, that your sacrifice was greater than any sin we've committed. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would well up within us, that you would draw us forward, and we're so thankful for your promises, that as we respond to you, as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, somehow we are united with Christ. Meet us now, God, as we meet with you. Before we have that instrumental and and you do an individual prayer, would you please pray, if you know this prayer, a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.